Hi, I'm Jerry Howard, the CEO of the National Association of Home Builders. And I'm Jim Tobin, Executive Vice President, Chief Lobbyist for the National Association of Home Builders. You are? I am indeed. Still, after all these years. <laughs> It's great. It's great to be back, Jim. I haven't spent much time with you since IBS. Uh, uh, it was a great trip out there. I think. Yeah, absolutely. We had a great, a great time, uh, and it's good to be good to be back in the office doing the the work of the members. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is uh, the first broadcast of uh, our new uh, podcast called Housing Developments. It's going to be a biweekly show, uh, assuming Jim and I are ever in the office at the same time to do this because we're both on the road an awful lot, but it'll give us an opportunity to uh, share with our members, I think, some of what's going on in housing. That's right. We're here in Washington, D.C., capital of the free world, capital of the United States, capital of the National Association of Home Builders. Uh, and just what we want to do is make sure that you all uh, out there understand what's what we see in Washington, D.C., all the things we capture uh, as we talk to people uh, in the administration, on the Hill, our fellow, uh, our fellow housing compatriots, uh, and just have an idea of what's going on in the industry and give you a chance to hear what we hear. Yeah, and I think we'll even probably try and add to that by talking about what we hear when we're out in the field. As I mentioned, Jim and I travel an awful lot, uh, and uh, we pick up things from builders out in the, in, in, in the country, and I think it's important for us to let every builder know what uh, their, their fellow members are thinking about because ultimately that impacts NEHB and it can impact uh, your businesses. So uh, I think we're going to give you a great insider view. And if we're lucky, uh, we'll even bring in some guests uh, from government, some of the other housing advocates that you talked about, uh, maybe some finance types if we can get them in here. I, I, generally, I think we just want to have conversations like you and I have in the office every Monday morning on our own just to uh, figure out what's going on and where we need to be heading. That, that's, uh, that's right. So let's, let's get to it. Um, so uh, two weeks since the International Builder Show, uh, it's been, uh, I think, the best show that I can certainly remember uh, in a long time, and, and you and I have been together for a long time now. But well, uh, we've been together as colleagues. Yeah, I've been as colleagues, that's right. That's, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's important to note uh, for the I, listeners. That's right. I, uh, I, I, as I heard you say on the, uh, as we were wrapping up on the board floor, best show in 10 years. Tell us about it. Tell tell us what you saw from your perch as uh, as you know one of the, the the driver of design and construction week and building this event to to now. Well, like you said, it was. It, I go even farther, Jim. I I can't remember a better show in my career at NEHB. Um, and by that I mean there there were probably some that were a little bigger. Uh, there were probably some uh, that were uh, had more uh, important issues to be discussed. But in terms of the smoothness of the operation, the number of people, and the overall attitude of the attendees, I can't remember a better one. The biggest complaint I got, and I'm interested to hear if you got any, the biggest complaint I got was that the meeting rooms, the education rooms, were too small. That's a really good problem to have to have. That, that's right. I, I, I same thing. I, I heard you, everything's crowded. Uh, people were waiting in line to, uh, you know, when you're waiting in line to get to food, it's one thing. When you're waiting in line to talk to vendors, that's great. Not only for our exhibitors, but the builders know that they're, if they're that, that successful, then, then, then they're in the right place. Yeah, the vendors, uh, I think, were really happy, not only with the number of people in the aisles, but the quality of the leads. This IBS, this Design and Construction Week, had real decision makers uh, that were the, the attendees, and that's what our exhibitors need to see. So 
I have not heard any negative experience from any of our vendors, uh, and that's a real, real positive sign going into our sales for next year. Yeah, well, you know, we have our, our metrics for how the industry is doing. I think IBS and DCW is probably a new one that we should put on there uh, to just get the vibe of how the industry is going. That's a, that's not a bad idea. Well, we'll we'll talk to uh, Rob Dietz and see if, uh, if if we can work on that. Yeah, but just just to to fill in some of the gaps here, uh, the attendee registration was up by fifteen percent. Uh, as you mentioned, there were over a hundred thousand people combined at Design and Construction Week and IBS. And by the way, IBS is about twice the size, roughly, of Design and Construction Week. So you said that we're the driver. We we certainly are the driver in that regard. Uh, it was a tremendous show. I was particularly interested in some of the speakers that we were able to get. And two guys in particular, I think, Jim, really uh, piqued my interest. And that was uh, Tom Reed and uh, and Josh Gottheimer. Sorry about that. Tom Reed and Josh Gottheimer read the Republican from New York uh, on the Ways and Means Committee and Gottheimer, uh, a Democrat from New Jersey on the, on the House uh, Financial Services Committee. Um, those guys coming together in this Problem Solvers Caucus is, is interesting. What do you think about it? Well, uh, I, I think it's about darn time. We've seen some effort to try to get to the middle and, and get something done. The, these, two, these two gentlemen uh, represent essentially 48 other members of the House of Representatives who've come together in this Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, bipartisan, there's 24 Republicans and there's 24 Democrats, and they actually have kept their list pretty quiet uh, for a reason, because they represent, when you get to 48 or 50 votes in the House of Representatives, you can actually give headaches or, or victories to the House leadership. And if they can come together and promote certain ideas uh, that can get a vote and they can they can move the needle, then that's good for America. And as, as you and I talk about all the time, we're so polarized right now. We've the politics of the left and the right are controlling the middle, and it's great to see two 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 men uh, from both political spectrums coming together to try to shoot the middle and get to and get to some solutions between those extremes. You know, it's rare to see, and and I don't use this phrase lightly. These guys are real profiles in courage, because you and I both know. The vitriol and the polarization that you mentioned that's up there is such that, you know, I, I expect that Tom Reed could possibly get severely punished politically by his own party, by the right wing, the Tea Party guys, the Freedom Caucus. You know, these guys are displaying the kind of leadership, and I don't want to get, you know, sappy about it, but they're doing what the Founding Fathers anticipated that we would be doing. I think it, it was wonderful that you were able to get them there, testament to you and your team. And I think it was something that uh, that NEHB really needs to pick up on. After all, as you know better than anybody, our issues are not partisan. Our issues are housing, and we can work with people in both parties. That's right. You mentioned about Tom Reed. He, he, took, a, he took a strong vote at the beginning of this Congress. He was the only Republican to support the Democratic Rules Package, and that's what's going to govern the House of Representatives for the next couple of years. Always a partisan vote, but Tom, there were there were some reforms that the problem solver has been pushing for in that package, and he was a man of his word, and he voted for that package. To the rebuke of his own his own leadership, uh, came after him a little bit, and you're going to find Josh Gottheimer is going to be in the same position uh, as he moves forward over the next couple of years with his own leadership, and certainly the progressives in the House, as you said. 
<laughs> they are they're looking to take scalps early, and and I, we're starting to see even the majority starting having infighting with each other uh, when they should be unified, having have won the election. You know, it's kind of funny. You and I have witnessed this before. I, I sort of sit back and I think about what. Our mutual friend, John Boehner, who had so much trouble controlling uh, the Republican conference when he was the speaker and, and the far right emerged as the power brokers. I can almost sit, picture him sitting back and just laughing because Nancy Pelosi's going through the exact same torture that he did. Yeah, with a, cig- a cigarette and a glass of red wine, if you remember our friend John Boehner. <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. and Jerry, you know, you mentioned you mentioned the problem solvers, but th- there's there's other there's other caucuses inside the Congress, too, that we're working with as well. You have got the New Democrats, uh, which are a group of, of socially progressive but but business friendly Democrats in the House. They've got a housing platform. We're engaging with them directly on crafting the next step of that that of that legislation. Those ideas. Uh, you've got the Blue Dogs, really business oriented Democrats uh, who got decimated in the in the two thousands. Is is the is the Democrats became more more liberal. The Blue Dogs were the were the the, the seats where the Democrats uh, where the Republicans went after and took them out. They've come back in stronger force. We've got really good friends over there. So I think the housing industry has a nice a nice group of coalitions you have the tuesday group uh those are the moderate republicans not as many of those after the of last year's election um but there, there's an opportunity for us to really craft housing legislation like you said that middle of the road common sense business oriented but for the american people yeah and it seems to me that although the democrats do have a working majority um that if we can cobble together uh, these kind of reasonable thinking Americans into a coalition, we might be able to get something done. It's going to be really uh, threading a needle here, but I, I think we got a chance, Jim. Well, and I think I think we're, we're going to have to try to take our leaders from the administration, right? Uh, you and I, we go to the White House probably at least once a week, maybe once every other week if it's slow. Uh, to talk to the White House about all of the different facets of housing affordability, whether it's workforce development, whether it's housing programs, we're always talking to the White House. And I think there's going to be some leadership come out, leadership coming out of there. Um, you know, tell me, you, you had a front row seat, uh, as we all did, for, for Ben Carson, but tell, his speech at IBS and before the board was great. It was the best I've ever heard him speak. I got to be honest with you, he, uh, he didn't stick... St- totally to his script. He ad-libbed a little bit, engaged the audience with, uh, you know, a few uh, quips that he threw in there on his own. I thought it was a tremendous speech. I wonder how he stole your idea, though. Um, For the last six months, every time I see you, you say, we've got to convince people to use a carrot, not a stick. Encourage local governments and state governments to have more favorable zoning. Encourage local and state governments to do whatever they can to make it less of a regulatory burden to build a house. And I'll be darned if Ben Carson doesn't come right out and say that's what HUD's going to do. So what I got to ask you is, did you have a private breakfast with Carson or uh, how did he steal your idea? Well, we all know he's a brilliant brain surgeon. I'm just going to say probably. Probably uh, maybe sees a brilliant a brilliant idea when he when he hears one. So uh, yeah, no, we were I was thrilled to hear uh, the Ben Carson say that. It's now we have to capitalize on that, and 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 that's our plan. Well, we got to capitalize on that, as you and I have discussed, and we also got to capitalize on the fact that both parties equally share the blame for the fact that housing affordability is at a ten year low. And that although young people coming into the workforce, young people who are forming families, still believe in the American dream of home ownership, 
that dream is less and less attainable. You and I need to make sure that both parties understand that the American public is watching them and that if they don't start talking about housing affordability as we get into the 2020 election cycle, something's wrong. Agreed. And and we're starting to see plans come out from some sides. It's particularly Elizabeth Warren, who's running for president. She's got a housing plan. Uh, Kamala Harris also running for, for, for president. She's got, she's got a tax credit uh, for renters out there. People are talking about it, but now we need to harness both of those sides. And if we can get one side talking about it and get the other side talking about it, next thing you know, we're having a national conversation about housing. Yeah, let's let them fight over it and we'll come out <laughs> the winners. It's That's fine right. with me. You know, speaking of Kamala Harris, I read a poll this morning about the, uh, the Democratic nominees as uh, Hickenlooper came into the fray yesterday. Uh, others are still considering it. Uh, again, it looks like the Republican primary season of four years ago, where just about everybody who calls himself a Democrat and who has any bona fides is, is, is going to run for president, uh, as the Republicans did back then. But if you look at the polls, there's only three candidates that even come close to double digits in support. And Biden, uh, former Vice President, former Senator Joe Biden, is the front runner by far, uh, with Bernie Sanders second, and then Kamala Harris is just somewhere over 10% support. What do you think about that? Well, I, I, it's... I, I find it interesting that what we have is Joe Biden leading the leading the uh, leading the pack. Uh, I I am I am of the mindset that both parties need need younger leadership uh, and, and and need to appeal to not only younger voters but He's we need fresh. Yeah, He's I know, there, I know, man. I know. But you know, uh, Joe Biden's got that that every man appeal. He's also run for president a couple other times before. Um, I'd be curious. It, it's one thing to be it's one thing to be talked about as a candidate, and then once you actually put your toe into the ring, uh, and, and everybody starts taking swings at you, uh, having having watched what happened four years ago with the the Democratic field, uh, <laughs> and and how and how Trump systematically took down contender after contender and whittled that 17 person stage down to finally him and Ted Cruz. Uh, I'll be curious to see uh, how the Democrats do it. Everybody pretends that they don't want uh, to, to damage the party, the old Reagan axiom of we sh- you know, Republicans shouldn't beat up on Republicans. Uh, they're talking a good game now, but it's got to get nasty over the next year. You know, we're only a year out from the first the first primaries in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, and Nevada. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting. Um, like you said, it's it's the list is shorter of who isn't running for president than who is running for president. And I know we've got some more names coming out. Including Joe Biden, I hear in the next couple of weeks. So I, you know, it gives us more opportunity, and obviously, we're going to have to reach out to our members uh, in the uh, in the various states and get them to help us get access to their members of Congress, their senators, their governors who are running for president. Because what it has been NHB's practice is to establish a relationship with every presidential campaign. Uh, and help them uh, to the extent they're willing to accept our help uh, develop their housing policy platforms. Uh, it's something that has worked very well for us in the past. Uh, you and I made several trips to New York in 16 to the Clinton campaign uh, and actually developed a pretty good rapport with some of those people. Uh, likewise, you and I were both members of the Trump Leadership Conference, uh, helping now President Trump and, and his team develop housing policy. I think it's an opportunity for us to make sure that the interest of our members are put in front of these candidates as early as possible and that we keep uh, that message in front of them as, as strong as we possibly can. That's right.
That's right. And, 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 and again, we're, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for people to crawl over themselves to find – we see it whether it's talking single-payer health insurance. Uh, you know, there, there's a variety of things that people are trying to, trying to define themselves in a campaign. Finding somebody who's willing to jump on the bandwagon for housing, I believe, will then lead everyone else to talk about it as well. So uh, I, I, I guess we're, uh, we're, we're kind of coming to the end. I'm going to ask you a, 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 quick, a quick question about IBS. Um, so – You've seen, let's say, the last ten years, we've seen a lot of a lot of opening opening ceremony speakers. Where's Dana Carvey stack up for you? Well, Dana Carvey was pretty good. Um, uh, I haven't laughed that hard in, in a long time. Uh, so, uh, he uh, walked right up to the edge a couple times, but he pulled himself <laughs> back and kept the audience engaged. I I really enjoyed Dana Carvey. I'll tell you, uh, Terry Bradshaw's spoken a couple times. Terry Bradshaw's been one of my favorites when he's spoken. And I have to admit that when we first got him uh, many years ago, I was skeptical as to what he would say. Part of that's because I'm not a Pittsburgh Steeler fan, as you know, but uh, he did a great job. Um, I put Dana Carvey maybe number one. Wow. That's, that's pretty good. Where so, do you put him? Let's see. Uh, yeah, I like a good laugh. I thought I thought Jay Leno was very funny. I'm a I'm a big Leno fan. I grew up with Dana Carvey on SNL. He was that was my era of of, of Saturday Night Live. So uh, for me, it was kind of funny to hear him do some of those those old voices. Remember some of those old old sketches that he used to do. Um, I thought Terry Bradshaw was great. Peyton Manning, not so good. Yeah, I wasn't uh, that big a fan of no. Peyton's. Try to think who else. Your your man John Gruden. Uh, I thought Gruden was pretty funny too. And talk about a guy who went for twenty minutes with no with no script or at least a piece of rolled up paper. I thought he I thought he did a pretty good job uh, as well. Um, but I, I think I, I think opening ceremony is just a great way to to get everybody loose. You know, and one thing you, you commented earlier about IBS, um, you can you can tell while the members are feeling not just by walking through the IBS show floors, watching the lines at at, at vendors. Uh, but from the board of directors' perspective, um, we don't have a whole lot of policy resolutions coming through. Now, there's two reasons for that. One is we have every policy resolution on the book we can possibly have, or, you know what, everybody's busy, uh, and 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 everybody's uh, they're they're making money for themselves and their family and their businesses. They're providing that affordable housing product for their customers, um, and and everything's going along well. I remember in the in ten years ago during the downturn, how many policy resolutions did we have? Um, it's, so it's, it's good to see that the members, the, the members are happy and for, for having lived with you through the downturn, um, it's good to see that. I agree, Jim. And, and I'll tell you that I, I think that, uh, the one area where we, we need to keep our eye on the ball is housing finance, particularly AD and C lending. Uh, Rob Dietz told me yesterday in a conversation that, uh, he's starting to see it tighten again. And obviously that's the lifeblood that drives the industry. So we've really gotta we've really gotta focus strong on that. And before we close, Jim, and I know I'm speaking for you on this too, uh, I think that everybody in Alabama should know that our hearts and prayers go out to those people who suffered so tremendously in that tornado the other day. Um, NAHB is uh, is prepared to do whatever we can to help with the recovery from that. And uh, we will uh, we will uh, be in contact with our our local and state associations down there. Uh, but I want everybody to know that uh, when any member of our federation or any member of our NHB family is injured in any way at all, uh, we all feel it. And so again, our thoughts and prayers are out there. No one circles the wagons like NHB. I mean, that's the that's the the, the, the truth of that. 
Anything else you want to wrap up with, Jerry? That was, uh, you know, I thought a, a good first, a first maiden voyage of, uh, of the new. Uh, well, the ship, the, the ship has set sail. We'll see where <laughs> it takes us, uh, and we look forward to coming back in two weeks. With, hopefully, with uh, some insights as to what's taking place uh, here in town and around the country. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks very much. 